This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 153. Today's episode is all about creating good luck with a serendipity mindset. I'm always fascinated, you know, when you do a workshop around serendipity and you, you, you kind of teach a couple of exercises that people get into. And then after a week, like people would be like, oh, my God, like I have serendipity happen all the time now. Because to your point, it is really about once we're priming ourselves um, with a couple of small exercises but then also start believing we can create it, it actually starts to happen more and more. And then it gives us this amazing enthusiasm. And I think, especially at the moment, you know, in these kind of dire times, I felt the major way to gain back an enthusiasm for life because you see every situation as something that can imbue meaning, that can bring some kind of spark and something positive and beautiful. And so, and that kind of reframing has helped me to really see the unexpected and uncertainty, not as a threat, but, but as, as, as this kind of potentiality and, and as an ally potentially. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? Actually, go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. This week, the review I want to share is by Lil Nisi. She says, I love this podcast. Melissa always has interesting guests, which bring a variety of healing modalities to the discussion table. She is personable and easy to relate to. I swear I squealed when I first heard she was pregnant, as if she was a friend who shared this with me. I actually laughed out loud when I read this, and it just brought a smile to my face, so thank you so much, and now into the good stuff. Have you ever noticed that some people just seem to have really good luck? And they usually know it, too. They're a little more willing to take a risk or put themselves out there because they're basically expecting a positive outcome. And the same goes for people with so-called bad luck. They also know it. Maybe they lose a lot of things or they get scammed or they happen to be the person that sprayed with mud while standing on a street corner. They tend to respond to these bad things that happen with something like, ugh, of course that would happen to me. Things like this always happen to me. What's up with that? Do they have like cosmic signals attached to each of them that tells the universe how to treat them or how to respond? Do we carry a different type of energy? Maybe some carry an energy that attracts and others carry an energy that repels. I am a lucky person. I always have been, not to brag, but kinda. I did go through an unlucky phase in my 20s, but I got it all back. 
I was looking back and trying to remember why or how I just always knew I was lucky. Was it one moment? Was it a bunch of moments where I noticed a pattern? Something must have jump-started this belief, right? The first memory I can think of was when I was really young, like four or five, and my whole family would go to the Alameda County Fair in Northern California, and there were these horse races. Well, my grandparents would let me pick the horse that they'd bet on. And at the time, I had a very scientific process for picking these horses. I'd pick the one with the best name or the prettiest ponytail, obviously. Well, twice in a row, my horse won. So my grandparents just started calling me lucky. This was at an age where my mind was really malleable, right? So I just started believing I was lucky. There was no doubt in my mind. The universe proved it. It supported it. There was proof. And then other people affirmed it. So I just knew it must be true. Well, the funny thing is, I can also remember almost every time we went to the horse races after that day, my horses did not win. Apparently, picking by the best ponytail is not always a sure thing. But for some reason, that did not affect my self-belief. I just assumed it was a fluke or the horses weren't keeping up with my luck. I remember thinking that there were just too many bodies involved, in different words, in the words of a five-year-old, but that horse or maybe that jockey could be unlucky, so I just need to start using my luck for things with less interference. Well, since that time, you better believe that I have put my name in nearly every raffle with a worthwhile prize that I've really ever walked by. I enter contests, I call radio shows, because I know deep down I have a real chance. And the older I get, the more my ideas on luck change in general. I don't really think about or hope for prize winnings quite as much. I mean, sometimes. But, you know, we tend to focus on the things that really matter to us. And so these days I'm counting my luck when I meet the perfect person or I stumble upon the perfect opportunity. And I can almost always trace back the really good, seemingly lucky things that happened to me to some sort of chance encounter including meeting my husband. So what is it all about then? Do I carry a different energy? Honestly, I bet I do. What I don't think is true, though, is that this energy is only available to me or a few lucky people. I think it's cultivated. It's not that I was born with some exclusive golden lucky energy, but more so that my self-belief influences the way I approach the world. Think about it. I enter every worthwhile raffle because I believe I have a chance. How many of you walked by or dismissed because you thought the odds really aren't that good, so I probably won't win anyways? Well, I'll tell you what, you definitely won't with that attitude. And that childlike confidence leaked through to my more adult version of luck. I tend to bring a little bit more confidence into chance encounters because I never really know where it might lead. I am also comfortable sharing my achievements with these chance encounters. As an only child, I was never really shamed from bragging, and I totally put bragging in air quotes, because it is well known that men brag way more than women, and it actually gets them places. So I think we should all get a little more comfortable bragging. For one, it gives other people permission to share and celebrate their own achievements. And you know what? We should be damn proud of what we've done. It keeps you motivated. Anyways, there's this saying that goes something like, every risk you don't take gives you a 100% chance to lose. Totally true, right? If you believe you have a chance, you're more likely to take that chance. At the same time, those that believe they're lucky place more emphasis on the times that they win. 
I've lost plenty of raffles, but for some reason I only really highlight in my mind the ones that I win. So there's some fundamental ways that believing you're lucky or unlucky affects how we put ourselves out there, right? But what if there's even more to this? What if there's a science behind creating luck? Well, that's what we're talking about today. And our guest is Christian Bush. He is an internationally known expert in the areas of innovation and entrepreneurship. He's also the director of the Global Economy Program at New York University's Center for Global Affairs. And he also teaches at the London School of Economics. And if that's not enough accolades, he's also the co-founder of Leaders on Purpose and the Sandbox Network. Well, his most recent book is called The Serendipity Mindset. And his main message is that serendipity isn't just about luck in the sense of simple randomness. It's about seeing links that others don't and combining these observations in unexpected and strategic ways and then learning how to detect the moments when apparently random or unconnected ideas merge so that you can form new opportunities. So this isn't going to be just some woo-woo conversation on how to feel lucky as much as I love the woo. But this is action and data-driven knowledge from a practical expert with a clear blueprint on how we can cultivate serendipity so we can increase innovation, influence, and opportunity in every aspect of our lives. Three key things we will learn are how to open your mind to become more attuned to serendipity, how to turn unexpected encounters into opportunity, and how to better foster your connections to turn them into something meaningful. But before we dive in, do you ever wish you could start each day with a little message from your higher self? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Christian Bush to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So what is your story? How did you start to study this idea about serendipities and change your mindset around it? Yeah, I mean, it, it really starts right after high school. So I, uh, you know, had a very rebellious teenagerhood. I had to repeat a year in high school. I, had, I was essentially had to, to change schools. And during that time, I had a quite reckless lifestyle. And um, one day, kind of, I wasn't lucky anymore, had a car crash. Um, and it was this kind of moment where, you know, the policeman said, oh, my God, he's still alive at the scene. And, and I was like, oh, wow, I was supposed to be dead. And so, um, you know, it triggered a lot of questions around, was it all worth it? If I would have died, um, you know, was there any kind of meaning to all of this? And so I started reading Viktor Frankl, who, read this, who wrote this amazing book, Man's Search for Meaning. And so what I realized is what I enjoy the most, what gives me the most meaning is connecting people, connecting ideas. And so I started out as a, as a community builder um, and then kind of went into entrepreneurship. And it was all about somehow bringing together people and ideas. And one of the things I've realized then when I went a bit more into academia, kind of working on, on some of these issues and, and what we can learn from, from, from that 
is that the most joyful, purpose-driven, exciting people around me, they had something in common, which was they all somehow intuitively cultivated serendipity. They all intuitively see something in the unexpected and turn it into a positive outcome. And so I got really fascinated about how do we create this smart luck, this kind of luck that's very different from the blind luck that's just about receiving something. It's, it's the smart luck that's about creating it and, and doing something with it. Right. And you say in the book that it's not just these coincidences, which a lot of us just think, oh, just a random serendipity. And we kind of brush it off as just something that happens every now and then. But this idea of really spotting and connecting the dots to start to see bridges where other people see gaps. So can you give us an example of where one person might see something as just a run-of-the-mill serendipity and where somebody else might see that as something that's leading towards something better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, take the quintessential moment, you know, when we were still allowed into coffee shops. I mean, I'm here in New York, so at the moment it's not an option. But in general, you know, if you have slightly erratic hand movements, as I do, uh, you tend to spill a lot of coffees. And one of the things I realized, you know, in this kind of unexpected moments where you spill a coffee over some, someone and let's say you sense a connection, right, that you sense there could be something there. And now you have two options, right? The one is you just say, oh, I'm so sorry, here's the napkin and that's it. And you walk outside and you're like, oh my God, what could have been? Or the other option being, oh my God, this is unexpected, but hey, like let's, let's you know, start a conversation, see where this goes and it turns out to become a relationship or it turns out to become a co-founder or whatever that is. And so in these situations, it's really about saying, how do I react to the unexpected? How do I do something with it? And we see that all the time, actually, you know, from how... Up to 50% of innovations happen, inventions happen, to how we find our lover, our co-founder. And so I've got really fascinated about this. And, you know, I think the quintessential example in science probably is, is, you know, when a couple of decades ago, researchers were injecting or giving people medications against angina, the disease. And, you know, they realized there was some kind of movement happening in male participants' trousers. And so, you know, it was unexpected, right? And what would we usually do? We would say, oh, my God, this is embarrassing. This is something that that is a quote-unquote side effect, so we have to make it a better thing that doesn't have that side effect. They did the opposite. They said, you know, this is unexpected, but you know what? A lot of men in the world have a problem in this department. So why don't we develop a medication that, that could do something with it? And this kind of connecting the dots essentially led to Viagra, right? And so it's really these kind of examples where if you distill how serendipity happens in life, and when you look at which people are really luckier than others, a lot of times we see that it's always a process of somehow having something unexpected happening, but then turning that into some positive outcome. So it's a proactive decision we make, what we do with it. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. 
That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. Right. I reminded of when I met my husband. So that month... It was December 13th. My company I was working for shut down. And a couple days later, I found out that my landlord was selling our place. And so everyone was really worried about me because they're like, oh my gosh, like you're losing your house. You're losing your uh, job all at the same time. It was right around Christmas. And normally I go visit my family for Christmas, but now I had to move out. So I was just staying in, (laughs) in the city and just trying to figure it out. Well, I could have just gone into like a depression and been like, woe is me and felt like a victim. Or what I chose to do was at this point, enough had happened in my life where I thought I'm going to make the most of it. So I found something else to do around Christmas. And it was just interesting because I ended up meeting my husband. If I had had a job, I probably wouldn't have been able to spend so much time with him. (laughs) He ended up having needing help in his company. So I worked with him for a while. So All of this stuff fit together, but it was so much easier to see later on. But it was really just this open mindset of being able to see that I didn't have to sulk in this moment and I could use it for something good, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's what I find most fascinating about this, that in a way, it's so much about reframing, right? That a lot of times what we might consider bad luck at one point might turn into good luck over time if we are able to essentially see every situation as something where we can still imbue meaning. And that's what, what I found so fascinating about the Viktor Frankl book also, that you know he was in the toughest of situations. He survived the Holocaust. He was in a concentration camp. And yet, like even there, he said, you know, there's a meaning. I, when I wake up in the morning, I can still have a conversation with someone and make them feel better. And by doing this, I can, like, I will feel better about myself. And so in a way, kind of by doing this, he reframed every situation into some kind of situation of still being able to do something. And I think to your point, the beautiful thing about serendipity being that a lot of times it's so much about how in a way out of crises, out of unexpected crises, there is beautiful things emerging based on our response to it. And so if I look at a lot of our research, for example, is around, you know, executives, senior executives in in large companies. And one of the things you see, one key pattern is that a lot of the key initiatives came out of, oh my God, a hurricane happened and we had to react. And by reacting to this, we were able to really bring out our core values and people saw our real colors and these kind of things. And so in a way, these moments of crisis allow us also to, A, kind of bring out our real colors, but also B, um, if we look at it in a long-term perspective, Serendipity a lot of times over time develops, right? It's not like this kind of one 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 thing that, that just happens. And a lot of times it comes out of bad luck, like in your example, where it, it starts bad, but actually it turns into a beautiful thing. And I'm glad to hear that, that it seemed to have worked out well. <laughs> well, it is funny because one thing I always say is some of the most interesting people that I know are became that way because they were able to transform some sort of crisis in their life. And so now I just look for that in crises. Like, 
when all of this happened in 2020, you can really see the difference between the people who are like, okay, well, how can I transform my business to meet people with what they need right now? Or what are the current trends happening because of the lockdown that I can cater to and finding ways to show up in that way? And one thing I found interesting is that you talk about these different types of serendipities. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I mean, they're really all about the question of, are we already looking for something? So in a way, you know, a lot of times we might say, oh, I'm looking for finding a job in XYZ industry. And then we unexpectedly meet someone who can help us make it happen. So it's like we already knew what we wanted but it's an unexpected way of how we're actually getting there. And so that's a lot about like bumping into people in some way and then they make an introduction to that or whatever it is. But then there's also this kind of the one that I find most beautiful, which is really about the potentiality of life, which is say a lot of times we might have a certain idea of where we're going or no idea at all, but then we, we bump into a certain information or we see something in a window or someone tells us something and it leads us into a completely different direction. And that kind of direction then, in a way, is the potentiality of life, right? That we could live so many different lives and we could do so many different things in life. And when I think about, you know, how a lot of the things that I've been working on emerged, they literally emerged, you know, I was working on something and then I met a wonderful person. They told me about something completely different, um, which seemed completely unrelated in the moment. It led me into a completely different direction, but similar to how a lot of CVs look like. They always look a little bit disparate when you look at them, but then there's this kind of common thread in the end that, that we somehow realize brings it together. Like in my case, for example, connecting people, connecting ideas, like I realized that is something that brings it all together. But the different types really saying, hey, like, is it about something where we already were looking for something? Or is it something that leads us into a completely different direction than we were looking for? And both are beautiful, but I love the potentiality of the second because it really helps us to to, to realize how, how much there is about life. So... A lot of us are used to kind of dismissing these serendipities or just passing them off. How do we start to become more attuned so that we avoid missing the serendipities in our lives? That's a great question. And I, I look at it from two perspectives. One is, how do we seed more dots? So how do we put more dots out there? And then how do we connect dots better and more often? And so in, the first one is really about how do we create more meaningful accidents? Like how do we set more hooks that allow us to have more dots there. So to give an example, there's this amazing entrepreneur in London, Ollie Barrett. And if you would ask him something like, hey, Ollie, what do you do? Uh, you know, on this kind of the dreaded question that people ask on conference calls or when you meet someone the first time, like this kind of what do you do question, he would say like, well, you know, I'm a tech entrepreneur, but I recently started reading into the philosophy of science, but what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three different hooks where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence, I just started hosting piano matinees, I want to invite you for that. Or such a coincidence, I just started reading into XYZ philosophy of science as well. Whatever it is, but essentially it gives you different options of what you could connect with. So that's really the first one uh, around this. The other one is more around how do we train ourselves to connect dots? And that is really about the question of how do we essentially, for example, in conversations, constantly think about how does what the other person tells me relate to what I'm really interested in, what someone else is interested in. Because a lot of times we end up in these kind of routine type ideas of, you know, how a meeting goes and everything else goes. But once we start putting ourselves into that idea of, hey, we can constantly actually connect different types of dots, we, we, we can prime ourselves to it. And so one thing I found super fascinating um, that, that has helped me a lot is, is starting a serendipity journal where you literally write down, okay, what are the kind of conversations today 
where I could ask slightly different questions or I could slightly like I could ask like I could answer differently and so on. And so I think to your question, there's a lot of small things we can do. And that's what I find most fascinating in terms of just how we switch, how we ask questions, how we answer questions to how we look at the world and and so on. It reminds me of how the idea of a gratitude practice works, where they say if you start to write what you're grateful for every morning and every night, then it does more than just help you focus on gratitude in those moments. You start to focus on what you can be grateful for throughout the day. So your mind starts to automatically seek things to be grateful for, which changes your outlook on life. Exactly. And that's the fascinating thing in terms of there's this interesting experiment, which I think brings that point home that so they took people who self-identify as extremely lucky and people who self-identify as extremely unlucky. And then they said, okay, walk down the street, go inside the coffee shop, sit down, have a coffee, and then we'll have an interview. And what they didn't tell them is that there would be hidden cameras across the street. There would be a five pound note in front of the coffee shop and inside the coffee shop, there would be only one free seat and there would be next to this extremely successful businessman who can make a lot of dreams happen. And so now the one lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound notes, picks it up, goes inside the coffee shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, has a wonderful conversation, they exchange business cards and potentially an opportunity comes out of it. Now the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, also sits next to the businessman, the other person's left, ignores the businessman, and that's that. Now, at the end of the day, they ask both people, so how was your day today? And so, you know, the lucky person says, I made new friends, so the businessman and, and potentially the barista, uh, and I found money in the street, and, you know, potentially an opportunity coming out of the conversation. The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And, you know, we all know these people who have exactly the same situations, right? If you look at some couples or business partners or others where one just seems a little bit luckier than the other. And so much of it is about how do we frame the world and do we believe that we can create our own luck? And that's the fascinating thing around how a lot of our research also, I'm always fascinated, you know, when you do a workshop around serendipity and you, you, you kind of teach a couple of exercises that people get into. And then after a week, like people would be like, oh my God, like I have serendipity happen all the time now. Because to your point, it is really about once we're priming ourselves um, with a couple of small exercises but then also start believing we can create it, it actually starts to happen more and more. And then it gives us this amazing enthusiasm. And I think, especially at the moment, you know, in these kind of dire times, I felt the major way to gain back an enthusiasm for life because you see every situation as something that can imbue meaning, that can bring some kind of spark and something positive and beautiful. And so for someone like me who comes from Germany, you know, and, and ambiguity usually gives me anxiety. And that kind of reframing has helped me to really see the unexpected and uncertainty not as a threat, but but as this kind of potentiality and, and as an ally potentially. Right. It reminds me of this movie. It's It was kind of a dumb, like, three-star movie I just watched, but it's called I Feel Pretty, and it has Amy Schumer. It was actually really cute. But the whole premise of this movie is it's about this girl who identifies as bigger. She feels ugly in things. And so, like, you can just see the first few scenes of her going through her life uh, just being embarrassed about certain things, expecting to get passed over, and then she ends up hitting her head. And it somehow changes her brain to where she looks in the mirror and she thinks she's like a perfect 10 and she's gorgeous. And so she's walking around like talking about how gorgeous she is and everyone's like, okay, <laughs> like, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? 
but it changes the way she approaches the world and she ends up getting a boyfriend and a job because she's just so confident walking into it. And it goes to show how much our mindset's about something or even the idea that we might be expecting something good to happen can change the way we walk into a situation more so than it actually changes the situation itself. But what's interesting is I think a lot of times we look back in hindsight and we're easier able to connect these things had something to do with each other. And you talk about in your book, this idea of hindsight bias. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, the hindsight bias being around that idea that we, we then assume, you know, when we look back, we always obviously in that moment when we look back have much more information than we had when we were in the situation. So now it all seems like, oh, yeah, of course, great. I, I could have known this and or I, I did know this and so on. But also it's very related to one of my favorite biases, actually, which is we constantly post rationalize. Right. So in a way we constantly kind of say, oh, like you somehow made a plan and then something unexpected happens and it's almost like a squibble of how life happens right that like life is never really linear but we tell it as if it is linear and so the fascinating thing is that we rationalize a lot of things as if it was step by step even though it really wasn't and I think to your point what's interesting is that we always think we can plan everything out and then the unexpected happens and we're kind of scrambling and 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 and, and then again we have this illusion of control and then we think we can get more control by telling it as a, as a kind of linear story but what i found fascinating about what you said also is that to your point like how amy schumer in, in that movie you know once you reframe the world you look at it differently and and it does something right and i think a lot of my research is in in sub-saharan africa and what I found interesting there is there's this fantastic organization, Reconstructed Living Labs, and they essentially, you know, it's a it's a low-income education methodology where it's about, hey, here are five steps of how you can build a business, or here's five steps of how you can uh, use social media. And so they go into impoverished communities, and they're part of those communities, and then instead of asking, what do you need? Instead of asking about resources, they say, what is already here? And by doing this, then you look at an old garage, and you see a training center, a potential training center, or you look at a former drug dealer and you say, oh, this could be a potential teacher who has a lot of social capital and who might be really resourceful. And if we can turn this person around, they will probably bring a lot of people into like kind of more formal employment because they have so many contacts and everything else. And so the point being to, to, to exactly what you mentioned earlier, that once we reframe the world and look at it from that perspective of seeing something in what is there, it literally starts to happen because a lot of times actually it might be there, but we might not see it because we're focused so much on outside resources or being prettier, being X, Y, Z and looking for something we don't have yet rather than looking at what we already have. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash mindlove. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's such a good point because I was just talking to somebody about how even when we're trying to find our own path in life, like find our purpose or find something that we're going to be good at, so many people out there are just unhappy in their jobs or with their lives and they're looking for some big pivot and they're looking at these other people and figuring out what they don't have and trying to cultivate that in some way or develop this brand new skill when a lot of times it's much more purposeful to see what you're already great at, what your strengths already are, and then find possibly new uses for that or whatever. And it reminds me too of a concept you talked about in the book that I didn't really think of when it's coming to serendipities because often you're like, oh, I met the perfect person at the perfect time. And one of the things you talk about is having a curiosity and openness to unsought information. And so a, a lot of us might hear something and we're like, oh, that doesn't apply to us at all, or that doesn't apply to me. So you tune it out. But instead, it's like, if you just are curious with more things in your day-to-day -day life because you're the type of person that expects to find an opportunity, you can almost put a pin in it because you don't know if like three weeks down the line, suddenly something happens and that information's relevant and you can recall back to it. Exactly. And you know, it happens so often, right? And imagine the situation where let's say you're talking with a friend and this friend kind of tells you about this opportunity that's out there because you know, let's say you are in consulting and they tell you about this amazing entrepreneurial opportunity and they tell you about it and you might just think, oh my God, why do they tell me about it? I'm actually okay here. But you know what? Maybe your friend already sensed that you're not really happy and, and maybe you're just lying to yourself that you want to stay in that job, but you, you really, you know, you want to do something else and your friend already sensed that. And so, 
you know, if you're now remembering this after a week or two when you feel like, ah, man, I just had a conflict with my boss. And then you remember that conversation. You're like, hey, actually, maybe it is a good point now. And so you're, you're in a way, if you had that openness to that information at that stage, obviously can help you um, later on. And, and we see that in so many different ways. But, you know, I, I also find it very interesting in terms of when you think about how I think a lot of times we assume that we have to be the ones who have to create that luck or that serendipity. And so by definition, connect the dots. But actually, a lot of times it's other people doing it for us if we give them the opportunity to do it. And that really requires that we also trust a little bit in that. And so I've had a lot of friends, for example, one friend of mine, she she sent out an update email, for example, saying, hey, like I'm taking like a sabbatical. I'm thinking about what I could do next. Like if you have any ideas, like send them over. And the person used to be in, in, in kind of, you know, the nonprofit sector and so on. And so she thought this would be like always the sector she was in. But a friend sent her this message saying, hey, look, like, there's this amazing tech incubator and they are looking for someone who has who has your skill set. Like, why don't you apply to that? And, you know, she her first reaction was, I have no idea about the tech sector. I have no idea how the tech industry works. But actually, her friend already saw that the skill set actually in this completely different context was exactly what was needed. And so needless to say, she ended up in that job. And, and it's these kind of things where a lot of times people see something for us if we give them the opportunity to do that. Right. And even in that case, it does take the openness to be vulnerable and like put out feelers, maybe, or even just the openness of being the type of person where somebody feels comfortable making a suggestion to you. Because I definitely have those friends that I'm like, I know if I suggest this to this person, she'll be open to the idea and other people who you just know are going to shut you down immediately, no matter what. (laughs) And so... It reminds me of when I was starting my entrepreneur journey, one of the first steps that I did, because I was just in that place of trying to find something that was right for me, something that was going to light me up or fulfill me in some way. And one of the first steps I did was I wrote letters to a bunch of different people that I knew, about 11 people that I knew from different areas of life, whether it was an old roommate, an old coworker, and uh, my current husband, my boyfriend at the time. And I asked hey, if I were to have one superpower, what would you think that it was? And I know that even doing that is pretty vulnerable for some people. So I wrote in this letter, I was just like, I'm doing this entrepreneur course. This is a challenge. I have to reach out to people. That way it kind of took it off my shoulders a little bit. And I was just like, would you please answer this question for me? And I got the most enlightening responses back. And one of them was similar to what you said your superpower was in the beginning about connecting ideas and A bunch of people said in different ways that I was good at taking ideas from different sources and combining them and making it easy to understand for people. And it gave me the idea for a podcast where I'm able to share ideas. And so having that, you can even just straight up ask for people to say like, hey, can you help me in this way? Or are you seeing something that I'm not seeing? Whether it's for a new opportunity like that, it happens a lot in business where we think we know like this app we're creating or whatever. And it's like, I already know exactly what I want it to do. But then you send out a survey to all of your users and you're like, well, what do you need here? And it ends up being completely different than what you thought it is because we get into these narrow minded tunnels of what we're already creating. I like exactly that question, like in terms of having other people identify the superpower. And I think there's beautiful variations of this right? in terms of asking friends, like, I don't know, if I would write a book, what, what should it be on? Or if I X, Y, Z. So this idea of like allowing other people to identify that for us. And so I think that's a great example. It's also something 
I've seen it work in, in companies in different ways as well. Like once we open ourselves up to that and do it in a slightly vulnerable way, I mean, in companies, for example, you know, when team meetings don't only start with, oh, how was last week's performance or last week's sales numbers, but if it's about what surprised you last week, which assumptions did you question, like things that essentially open you up to the unexpected, that's fascinating because then it's not only about identifying new potential areas, but also in companies, it, it just can really help avoid failure later on because you easily early on understand what people see in the situation. I think that's the same with our lives, right? If people feel, hey, there's a non-match between what we're doing at the moment and what our superpower is, um, then that's an issue, right? And so it's exactly those kind of questions that really help us question the direction that we're on. It reminds me of that quote by Henry Ford. If I had asked the people what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. <laughs> Whereas sometimes you need the vision to see beyond that. So it's like also reframing questions in different ways to get different answers can be helpful too. And it reminds me of something you else you talked about in the book about how our knowledge and expertise can be a blessing and a curse when it comes to serendipities. How, why is it that sometimes when we know more about a given thing, that sometimes it can get in the way of us seeing more opportunities? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really the hammer and nail problem, right? The functional fixedness, like when you have a hammer, then you will always think in terms of, oh, when you see a nail, you will always think, oh, I need a hammer for, for kind of putting that nail into the wall. Um, and if you don't have a hammer, you will try to search for a hammer. Versus if you never saw a hammer, uh, you might use whatever is available to you to, to just get that nail into the wall. And, and that's the same with, you know, how we're in a way potentially closing ourselves to serendipity because we think we have it all figured out. And to me, like a quintessential example is, so I do a lot of supervision of, of kind of thesis, of dissertations. And so there's usually two types of students. And I obviously try to keep an open mind. And even if my first impression is in some way, I obviously try to, to revise that as I go. But there's usually two types. Like the first type comes in and says, I know exactly what I want to do. Here's my literature. Here's what I want to do. Can you give me a stamp of approval? And I'm like, great, run with it. And so they usually end up pretty okay with like an A minus, B plus type. Um, and that's that. Now, the other type comes in and they are like saying, well, you know, I read into this literature and this literature and I was trying to understand this. And, you know, I found this interesting, but I'm not really sure which one it is. And so there's this ambiguity. There's this kind of this idea that I haven't figured it all out yet. And that, in a way, a lot of times leads to real originality and new ideas, new solutions, because in a way they allow themselves. I mean, obviously, they don't want it in that moment and it feels a bit painful, but that allows them for that creative friction that leads to positive, really interesting outcomes. And they a lot of times end up as the kind of AA plus type students or as the kind of B, uh, C type. It, it can go both ways. But, but the key point is that a lot of times, in a way, exactly this idea that if we are very fixed on, in this case, a particular literature or a particular tool like a hammer or a particular model of how we think about the world, a lot of times it closes us down to other things that could happen. And there's a lot also in terms of when you look at how innovation plays out, you know, a lot of times real radical innovation tends to come out of extreme resource constrained environments. Like in Kenya, for example, that's where mobile banking emerges, because if you don't have an ATM machine in a village, you don't think about how to improve the ATM machine. You think about how do I get money from A to B if I have a mobile phone? And so you don't need to unlearn uh, certain tools like ATM. And so it's, it's really about this kind of idea that it can be great to have expertise. It can be great to have tools and everything. But we should always have enough in our portfolio so that we can really question the existing ones. But so say we start to actually find more of these opportunities. But then the next step actually becomes acting on them. 
how do we start to train ourselves for that courage or that boldness? You know, some people just aren't used to creating those opportunities or they're not extroverted enough to really know how to foster those connections or turn that chance encounter into something greater. How do you translate that into an opportunity is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, that's a great question. It actually reminds me of, I also, you know, I feel like a lot of us have this kind of inner imposter, right? Where we're like, oh, actually, am I really ready for this? Am I really ready for this opportunity? And so on. And I remember I had this wonderful conversation with someone in London who works in the restaurant business. And he essentially, we had this conversation where I asked him, so how much serendipity do you have in your life? And he would be like, well, before I was 25, never. And after I was 25, all the time. And I asked him, so what changed? Because essentially, you know, since he's 20 or so, he's been working in this restaurant and he would always kind of be like really nice and kind with people and people would always offer him opportunities, right? They would always say, someone like you could do X, Y, Z. Like, should I introduce you to X, Y, Z person? And he would always say, no, 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 no. Because in his mind, it was people like me are not supposed to be in X, Y, Z area. People like me are supposed to work in a restaurant or, 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 or so. And so it was fascinating that, so he had this experience where he went through a process of, um, he had a couple of people around him who essentially eased him into, you know, trying out, going to a couple of interviews and, and by building this kind of self-confidence that came with going to a couple of interviews, getting a couple of rejections, but also going through and being accountable to his friends. He essentially after and after then went through like this idea of, I actually, you know, I can do some of these things. I am worthy of this. And, you know, to me, this is actually one of the, I'm thinking more and more about parenting. And it's something where when I look at those kids that I feel have the most self-confidence, the kids that seem to be like, like really kind of, you know, feeling worthy. When I look at how parents do that, like this idea that these kids are part of the table, right? They're sitting at the table, like there's a 10 year old kid who gets asked for her opinion. And like these kind of things where it's really about saying, how do I already raise kids that feel they're part of the conversation, that feel worthy of opportunity and so on. But if we are now in a situation where maybe we don't feel like that, how do we essentially set ourselves up for that in terms of something that's worked pretty well for me is literally to go to, you know, have one or two accountability partners around me and say, you know what, I will apply to these 50 things now. I will go to all of the interviews and I will be accountable to you doing that. And the more I do that, the more I'm like, okay, actually the first rejection really hits hard. The second rejection really hits hard, but then essentially it gets easier and easier along the way. And I feel like that kind of idea of how do we allow ourselves discomfort to happen and then realizing that the biggest discomfort is not to try to do it, but actually to not do it, at least in my case, like where, you know, one of the things I realized is that this Mark Twain quote is actually pretty true um, for myself and a lot of people I've been working with, which is this idea that we regret the things we haven't done rather the things we have done. And once once we realize how much it hurts to know that we haven't acted on an opportunity, um, it actually becomes pretty clear that acting on it, the hurt from that will be much less than the hurt of or the, the pain from actually not having even tried. I love that. It reminds me of a previous guest I had on, Mickey Agrawal. She's the founder of Tushy and a bunch of other really cool inventions. And anyway, she talks about in her book about reframing failures because it has such a stigma to it. And it's got this negative connotation like, oh, uh, failure is, you know, you're a failure or failing creates a failure, whatever it is. And it can just be heavy for a lot of people. And so she talks about reframing a failure as a revelation, because every time you fail at something, you realize what didn't work and it just gets you a little bit closer to what did. And even 
in sales or whatever. I have a, a one of my friends who is a sales guy. It's what he does. And he's just like, oh, sales is just totally a numbers game. You can't take the rejections personally. It's not a rejection of you. It's just, you know, that one in 12 is going to be a lead, you know, instead of, instead of being like, oh my God, I failed again and again and again. And you don't even get to 12 because you've lost all confidence in yourself before you even get there. Absolutely. And I feel like that's exactly why, you know, in families and companies and organizations, I feel like one of the, the, the biggest shifts we can do in the quote unquote culture that we have in those relationships is to allow exactly for that to say, we don't like if you're failing, I like how you framed it. If something doesn't work out, it's not that you are a failure. It is that something didn't work. And like it was an experimentation. It, what you just mentioned, a revelation. And I, I like that a lot. It, it relates a lot to, um, so I'm a big fan of these ideas of, of project funerals and post-mortems, where essentially um, in, in organizations, and again, we can do similar things in families and, and other contexts where when something doesn't work out, you know how we usually try to hide it, right? So we um, we would be like, oh, my God, it never happened. And hopefully nobody saw that it failed and that I'm responsible for it. Um, and what some organizations do is they do the opposite. They say, well, you know what? Whenever something doesn't work out, let's let's make a funeral around it and let's celebrate the learning from it. So we're not celebrating the failure. We're celebrating the learning from it. And so in this one example, they had this like a window, like a glass window. And the idea was that the light wouldn't reflect. And so you know, they developed this wonderful technology for it, but then they realized that people wouldn't pay a lot of money for it. And so they laid it to rest in front of project managers from other divisions. And they said, hey, look, you know, we learned that next time we should look more into what the market allows and so on. And then one person in the audience would be like, hey, 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 have you considered what this would mean for solar? Like if you would take this technology and use it as a solar device, how much energy that could absorb? And that is how, quote unquote, serendipitously or luckily their solar division partly emerged. And so the point here is that a lot of times serendipity actually happens in exactly those moments. They are quite vulnerable potentially, but they are about real knowledge sharing because essentially now we're open to say also the things that don't work. And usually these are the ones where we can learn the most from, but we're hiding them. And so I'm a big fan of not only talking about these hero stories and things that go well, because a lot of times obviously half of it might anyways not have happened the way people tell it. And the real learnings a lot of times being in the things that don't work. And so I'm a big fan of this idea of seeing something that didn't work out as experimentation. And that in a way then makes people feel that they can lose less if they're a bit more risk taking. I remember reading about Sarah Blakely, who's the CEO of the company Spanx. And she was talking about how at her family dinner table every night, her father would ask her, what did you fail at today? And so it just changed her idea around failure. They would actually make sure that they did enough things that one of them would be a failure because it showed that they were actually taking risks out in the world. And so it's something that she applied to her company about uh, where every week in their, their team meetings, they actually ask what did you fail at this week? And so that way people in their company aren't afraid to take risks. And and it just comes back to that whole like growth versus fixed mindsets. That's the biggest difference between kids who you'd think like praising a child for everything that they do right would be the would be great and be positive reinforcement. But it's been proven that a lot of times then they have this identity that they excel at things, which seems like it could be a good thing. But on the other hand of it, they become embarrassed or they don't want to lose that part of their identity if they do fail. So they stop doing things unless they actually know that they're going to win, which I feel like is something that I, in areas of my life, not all areas, there are certain areas that I can identify that fixed mindset growing up. 
Absolutely. And I think, I guess we all have it in parts in us. Um, it's fascinating to exactly your point. How do we, in a way, allow others and ourselves to, to in a way, see it that way? And so it's, it's fascinating. I mean, talking about growth mindset, where in a way that is also, it, it comes back to what we talked about earlier, you know, like, how do we look about, like, how do we look not only at the situation, but also us in relation to that situation? So how do we look at us in the situation and say, it's not me who's like a failure in the situation, but it's me who essentially still has to master something. It's me who still has to learn something. And that's great because like maybe life a lot is about, about learning, about like gaining knowledge and so on. And so um, that's actually something, you know, when you think about it in, in terms of like serendipity mindset, that is one of the beauties also that in a way, depending on where we are in life, there's always something to discover. And, and that can be new knowledge, new information, new people. And so that's actually then a good thing. And so I agree with you. And I, you know, it reminds me of, I had a conversation with someone who was talking about this monk and the monk essentially was telling him, look like you regular humans, you're so inhuman to each other because you essentially see everyone who does a mistake as a problem versus if you see everyone who makes a mistake as someone who's on a journey and you can be part of that journey. And then it becomes a beautiful way of potentially connecting with this person. And I think I've realized this in my personal relationships and in my love relationship that the more we see people not as these kind of infallible, they are all perfect, and if something goes wrong, they are not perfect, but more as like, look, like we're all just trying to figure it out, and if someone tries to figure it out, they will mis make mistakes, and that's a great way for us to bond with them because we can literally lift them up when they're down, and I think that's, to me, always been a beautiful experience when we are with others when they feel they made a mistake because that is when we can really show, I think, our kind of sense of friendship and, and, and so on. Ooh, I love that story. I actually was just sharing on my Instagram stories yesterday. I had this inspired thought of, you know, we're expecting everything and everyone around us to be perfect. And then we are upset when they're not. So we feel like we feel like things need to change around us for us to be okay. When really, what if we shifted that and changed our idea of what perfect really is? Like, what if everything and everyone is already perfect as it is right here, right now? And we just have to change our mindset in order to allow that in. So I love that story. Well, one thing I have a question about is so many of these things are about that connection between people or meeting the right person. But a lot of times people might be like, okay, I'm going to go take risks. I'm going to go to this networking event, meet this person, or I'm going to be open to talking to people at the coffee shop. And maybe they do meet somebody that is a, a person that they might want to know, but maybe they don't know exactly how. What are some tips for actually nurturing these connections or nurturing these re new relationships so that they unfold in a new way instead of just kind of choking or clamming up and not knowing where to take it after you meet them? That's a great question. I think especially for more extrovert people who have a lot of kind of potential relationships, a lot of potential kind of serendipitous uh, uh, things and moments and this question of how to not get distracted by it, but also how to deepen those that, that we really want to deepen. And one thing I found super useful or super helpful is to always think about like, what is the one thing I can do in this moment that somehow links us? So for example, I tend to do a lot of introductions where Let's say I meet someone I find wonderful and my main way to keep in touch with them is to say, let me introduce you to another amazing person. And when doing this, like, you know, they have an amazing experience and they usually get along really well. But also I stay part of this because now they are meeting 
and I was the reason why they met. And so it's kind of, you know, it keeps all these things alive. And, and there's always something coming after a year then of like, oh, my God, like because of this connection now, we made another connection and this happened. And so, you know, it's this beautiful Kamai kind of bundle then that devolves from it. And so I think there's a lot of these kind of more smaller things we can do. But also one thing that's helped me a lot is to try to figure out like what is the North Star or kind of sense of direction that helps me to understand who are the kind of people I really want to keep in touch with versus the people where I'm like, great, it was wonderful to meet you, but I, I don't really feel we, we need to keep in touch. And to me, that comes more and more down to like questions like principles and values and how these things are aligned. But I've, I've always admired, for example, how Paul Pullman does it. Um, he used to run Unilever and he always had this idea of like, hey, look, like I want to always see how I can build platforms where I can help other people who can't help themselves. And so everyone who would bring him an unexpected idea, if it fits into that, he would say yes. If it, if it wouldn't, then he wouldn't. And I, I like this idea of connecting the dots to something we really care about, because I think that also then opens it up to, to this kind of whole beautiful like momentum to, to drive towards something. And so I think filters are also, like with all the kind of excitement about meeting as many people as possible, I think also this question of how do we filter in a way that allows us to surround ourselves with those people that we feel really matter to us, um, being super important. It, it reminds me of this, I don't know if you, I mean, with your wonderful, I, I went through your Instagram and I feel there's so many wonderful quotes that, that I can completely relate with. And it reminded me actually of this, um, this is wonderful, I think it was in The Guardian, um, where they ask uh, nuns what people usually say as their key deathbed regrets. So when they're on their deathbed, like what do people usually say? And, you know, they usually don't say something like, I wish I had met more people and, you know, had more business cards in my drawer. They usually say things like, I wish I had like developed more meaningful relationships with the people that were really important to me and things like this. And so I think there's this kind of beautiful balance, I guess, between how do we maximize, but also how do we deepen and strengthen and do that in a way that imbues meaning. And I think that comes a lot back to what is our personal North Star and, and really like the Serendipity Journal or other kind of journals where we write down what is it that really matters to us and who are the people around us who, who not only foster this, but where we can also really be part of their journeys. I love that. I love how almost everything that I really dive deep into still comes back to first understanding yourself in a way. And I think people put pressure on themselves to really find who they really are, but it's not really about finding who you really are. It's about realizing who you already are. And a lot of that just comes from making that choice to tune in and notice, like notice when you meet new people, how do I feel with this person? What's happening in my body? Uh, what am I thinking about? What ideas are coming to mind or, or doing that on your own with different experiences in your life or, or taking notice of when you're really happy or when you're not or when you're doing an activity and you're excited to keep going versus getting distracted and all these things can take time and you can feel like you're kind of walking blind through it at first, but then you start to find connections and put it together and then you meet somebody and you spot something immediately because you've already made that conscious choice to focus on yourself or focus on these things that are highlighted in your life. So thank you so much for just bringing all of this knowledge to us and bringing kind of a science to serendipity. It was super interesting. I thought it was going to be a lot more conceptual than it was, but you broke it down into these actionable tasks of things that you can actually do in your day-to-day -day life to make serendipities happen. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you or your book, where's the best place to connect? So one is the homepage, which is www.theserendipitymindset.com. 
Um, I'm Chris Serendip on Twitter and delighted to connect on LinkedIn if there's any serendipitous uh, ideas that came to mind. Um, very delighted, obviously, to practice what we preach and uh, to, to see if there might be potential overlaps. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's, it's been a real delight. Thank you so much for the wonderful questions and I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 153. So your challenge for this week is to be really honest with yourself about the way you're approaching the world. What are your beliefs about luck? What are your beliefs about what is possible? The way I like to look at this is, what are my beliefs about how the universe is or is not supporting me in every single thing that I do? So I believe that the universe does support us in our goals and our dreams. And the more emotion that we feel into these goals and these dreams, the more motivation, the more excitement, the more love we pour onto it, the more often the universe supports me. So because I have this belief, there's something that I can do on the back end that enables the universe to support me. So I feel like, okay, I am excited about this. I am motivated. I am meeting the world with action. And so I am going to have those chance encounters because that's how the universe works. And it's one of the biggest things that fuels me to expect opportunity when I leave my house, when I go to networking events, when I talk to new people, when I have brand new conversations. And because of that, it opens up my serendipity mindset. Other people, maybe they haven't either identified or had a lot of chance encounters. I say identified because I think a lot of people are just used to not giving meaning to the things that have happened. A lot of people don't have an awareness with everything that they do. They don't end the day with some sort of introspection, which I also think can be really helpful or not so helpful depending on how you're doing it. So if you don't think there's a lot of meaning in things, it's going to be difficult to see the serendipities that may have come into your lives. You might have passed it off as just a chance encounter or you didn't act on it or you didn't have that thought in your mind like this could lead somewhere. So you just picked up somebody's napkin for them and moved on. <laughs> so start to notice how you approach the world, your mindset, your expectations. And if you know that you can do better, try. So again, maybe having a belief about how you are meeting the world might help you to expect better things. Understand that the universe does support you based on your emotion. The emotions are the magnetic. So if you have nothing you're excited about or looking forward to, it might be harder and harder to spot these things because the universe doesn't really know how to support you. One side note of this is I think there's a lot of meaning in things, whether we know it or not, but it is up to us to willingly come forward and decide to look for that. So again, just bring more awareness to how you feel when you're going out into the world, what those expectations are, what you actually want out of life. Get really clear on a new goal. And maybe that new goal is just to open up your serendipity mindset and have it as wide open as possible so that absolutely anything can happen. Even that has the power to change the way you approach the world. So have fun with this. It is a really fun process and it's exciting. There's really nothing to lose. So 
Let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Also share this episode if you found it powerful. You can take a screenshot and tag me or Mind Love Podcast on Instagram or just share it directly with a friend. Talk about it on Twitter. Talk about it on your blog, whatever inspires you. Don't forget that we have a premium membership that you can start where you'll get twice the episodes of Mind Love if you need extra inspiration. You also get meditations that I add every single month and ad-free episodes. So I would love to see you in there. And other than that, thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until.